Turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 this morning. I want to talk to you about the urgency of the eternal and the vanity of the earthly. Eternal urgency and earthly vanity. In this passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is preaching a very sobering message on the seriousness of eternity. He's hitting on some issues in that sermon that should cause everyone to be on the very edge of their seat. Instead, he's interrupted with a totally unrelated and entirely earthly request. In grace and truth, he addresses interruption and sets us back on track at the end. I want us to look at this this morning and consider the truth of this scripture and how it applies to all of our lives today. In Luke chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 1 through 34. Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 34. Let's begin looking at verse number 1. It says, under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Now, if you remember last week, Jesus had just very clearly revealed the leaven of the Pharisees sitting at this Pharisee's home for lunch. He begins to point out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He began to point out the reality that they are justifiers, that they're legalists, that they're vicious people. And now he reminds his disciples to beware of their leaven, their sin, their hypocrisy. For it will be revealed as it is already being revealed. And it will be made known as it is already being made known by Jesus, the knower of hearts. In verse 3 it says, Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. Now he's talking to his disciples. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. He's saying, just like I am currently removing the mask from the hypocritical Pharisees, we are about to open the door on who we are. And we're about to open the door on what we are about. And you are going to go public. So disciples, when you go public, Set your mind now not to fear man, but to fear God. In verse 4, he says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. Jesus is saying that we should not fear this morning the death of our bodies. Think about that in the midst of what we're experiencing now in this nation and how many people live in fear day after day. And Jesus is telling his followers, don't fear the death of the body. 
But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, if the first person that comes to your mind when you read verse 5 is the devil, then you've watched too many Looney Tunes and not read enough scripture. If the first thing that comes to your mind is that the devil is the one who has the power to kill and to cast into hell, you have a picture of Satan who's dressed in red with a, with a forked tail, with a pitchfork in his hand, casting people into hell. Let me tell you something. Satan will be cast into hell. He's not going to be doing any casting. Satan's going to be picked up by the nap of his neck and thrown into hell by God himself. And don't you think for a second that because God is love and God is merciful and God is gracious and God is patient that God is not God over hell. Get that loony tune out of our mind and realize that when you read Revelation that it is God who's in charge. God is the one sentencing judgment upon the lost. God is the one who has the power and he is the only one who has the power to take life agree that it's time for life to be taken and to send anyone to hell. Fear God, not the devil. Fear Him. Verse 6, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear you are of more value than many sparrows verse 8 and I say to you everyone who confesses me before men the son of man will confess him also before the angels of God but he who denies me before men will be will be denied before the angels of God now remember what Jesus is saying we're about to come out we're about to go public don't fear men, fear God. Don't be afraid to confess me before men. Don't be afraid to stand for me before men. In verse 10, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Do you hear the eternal urgency of Jesus' teaching here? Do you hear how serious what Jesus is saying is in this passage of Scripture? He is talking about matters that far outweigh any earthly matter here. But in the midst of this eternally urgent teaching... Jesus is interrupted. Verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. You see what's just happened here? Jesus is telling his followers, we're about to come out of the shadows. And we're going to go into the streets. We're going to stop whispering. And we're going to start shouting. And you need to not fear man. You need to fear God. He's the one that has the authority to cast into hell. 
And he knows you. And he knows the hairs of your head. And he knows your needs. Look to him. Rely on him. Depend upon him. The Holy Spirit's going to help you. And now this guy in the crowd pipes in and says something like, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. You want to talk about an earthly distraction. Jesus is in the middle of an eternally urgent sermon, and this guy tunes him out and then announces what he really cares about in front of everyone else. Tell me, tell my brother to give me my money. In verse number 14, he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Don't miss the fact that Jesus is judge and Jesus is arbitrator and Jesus is mediator. But what Jesus is saying here is I'm on the way to the cross, man. I'm getting ready to unleash my disciples, man. I've washed my hands of material things and I've come to bring people to God, not property to people. There's some television preachers that need to hear that. I've come to bring people to God, not prosperity to people. But since you brought it up, I'll say one thing to you. In verse number 15, he said, listen to what he says. It's a very powerful, very powerful verse if we just hear it. He said to them in verse 15, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Jesus tells us, man, guard against greed. Literally, take heed against greed. Beware of greed. Guard yourselves against greed. This is not, in the literal Greek language, this is not a defensive move. This is an offensive move. This is a proactive move. It's like building a, a high fence in, in, in order to ward off a foe. He's saying right now, before greed presents itself, build a high fence. Beware. Be on guard. Go ahead and put the guard up against greed. And not only guard against greed, but he says guard against all kinds of greed. Every form. Some of your translations may say, take heed against all covetousness. The last of the Ten Commandments is, you shall not covet. And every commercial that comes on the radio, on the television, and every ad that shows up on your computer screen is meant to do one thing, and it's to cause you to covet. Whether it's to cause you to covet, covet the new Impossible Whopper at Burger King, or the new Cadillac Escalade, or the new shoes, or the new purse, or the new makeup, or the new you. Everything we look around, every, everywhere we look in this life, there's something or someone trying to get us to covet. And Jesus is telling us you need to be proactive against that, put up a guard against that, beware of all forms of greed, all kinds of covetousness. Greed becomes so consuming that all of life becomes focused on the accumulation of more stuff 
the accumulation of more money. Someone once asked one of the Rockefellers, how much money is enough? And his answer was, always a little bit more. Greed becomes so consuming that all of life becomes focused on the accumulation of wealth and there's room for nothing else. There's no room for anything else, not even God, unless He might help you gain more wealth. This guy cannot wait for Jesus to stop talking about spiritual matters and eternity and get to the good stuff, material things, his inheritance. Jesus says guard against greed and guard against all kinds of greed. And then he, then he reminds this man and everybody in the crowd that even when we have an abundance, our life does not consist of our possessions. Do you hear this? Even when we have a lot, our life does not consist of our possessions. No amount of money on planet Earth can save your life. If you're diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer, you can be the richest person on planet Earth. And you will die just like the most impoverished person on planet Earth. People with access to the best medical care, with the best insurance, and the biggest bank accounts cannot preserve their life one single day beyond what God has determined. Rich or poor, our life does not consist in our possessions. Our life is held in the hand of Almighty God. No amount of money or stuff can guarantee life. And listen to this. No amount of money or stuff can guarantee abundant life. Our life does not consist in what we have. If I could just get this, I'd be happy. If I could just get that, I'd be happy. If I could just get one more thing, I'd be happy. Yeah, for about five minutes. Some of the most miserable people on earth are some of the richest people on earth. And some of the most joyful, carefree people on earth are some of the poorest. Life is not made up of what we have. No amount of money can save our lives. No amount of money can guarantee us abundant life. And ultimately, no amount of money or material possessions can save your soul. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his very soul? You may be able to buy yourself political office. You may be able to buy yourself a new position at work, but you will not buy yourself a place in eternity no matter how much money you put into the plate or no matter how much you give to charity. You cannot save your soul with wealth. Jesus says, this isn't really the point of my sermon here. You know, I was speaking about eternal things. I was thinking about things that had eternal urgency. But since you brought it up, let me just say to everybody, your life does not consist in what you own. So he tells a story to drive home his point. In verse number 16, he told them a parable. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He tells them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. Now you know the story. Don't zone out here. Stay with me. We might learn something. The land of a rich man was very productive. This man was already rich at the beginning of the story. It's not, he didn't become rich. He's already rich. It's not like all of a sudden a ship came in that's been, it's been in. And now it's getting bigger. 
Verse 17, he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. You see, at first reading, you may think, This guy's got plenty of food stored up for the winter. He's got plenty of food stored up for next winter. Now he doesn't have to work to put food on his table. Listen, you, I mean, is this guy just going to eat grain? You need to understand what's going on here. He just made a bumper harvest. And if he just sells the grain, what happens if the oil is flowing out of the Middle East? The price of gas goes down, right? Generally. And if there's a problem and that valve is shut off for a while, what happens to the price of oil? It goes up. Same way with grain. If he floods the market with his bumper harvest, guess what's going to happen? The price of grain's going to plummet. He's not going to make as much money. So what am I going to do? I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to store my grain. And I'm going to hold on to it until the price is right. And I'm going to let a little out at a time. By the way, he didn't just store grain there. It said he stored his goods there as well. This guy's got a lot of other stuff he's storing up. You realize how many storage units are rented? How many storage buildings are purchased? How many people don't park in their garages because of stuff? This guy's got stuff. I need to tear my barns down and, and build bigger barns so I can store all of my bumper harvest and so that I can store my stuff. My goods, he's not thinking about anybody else. Think about this. In three verses, he's going to use six eyes and five mys. In three verses, he uses six eyes and five mys. And some of you are going to stop right now and start trying to count them to see if I'm right. Just wait till you get home. We've got bigger fish to fry than eyes and mys. And how many there are? Just trust me, I tried to count several times in my translation. He's not thinking of anyone else. Look at verse 19. And I will say to my soul, now that I've got my bumper harvest, my bigger barns, got my grain stored, I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. All I've got to do is control the spout at the bottom of the silo, and I'm set for life. I can take my ease. It's my best life now. I've arrived. Now, let's be honest. How many of us right now, if we were truly honest, long to be this guy? I mean, I, I would love to hear that my ship has finally come in. I'd fish every day. I'd be on the golf course. I'd, I'd do my thing. Man, I just love to hear that where I invested my retirement money blew up. And I could just take my ease and I could eat, I could drink, I could be merry, I could travel the globe, I could do what I want to do, finally. The man that asked Jesus this question is listening attentively to this story. And he is drooling. I mean, the first part of the sermon, yeah, let's get to the good stuff, Jesus. Now he's at the good stuff and he's drooling. And then comes the surprise in verse 20. But God said to him, 
You fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you've, what you've prepared? And why would God call this man a fool? Didn't think it was very nice to call people fools. Why would God call this man a fool? Number one, because he thought his security was found in his bank book. He assured himself that he had many years. He had plenty of money. But he's going to be dead before daybreak. How many of you know we could be dead before daybreak? Any one of us. Younger, older, in between. James 4, 13 and 14 says, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist. A mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And if you're old here, you know exactly that's the gospel truth, is it not? The oldest person in this crowd right now is thinking to themselves, Man, my life has flown by. Every Christmas seems to come quicker than the Christmas before. And you can live to be a hundred and still say, This life was a vapor. He thought his security was found in his bank book, but Jesus is whispering, be on guard against every form of greed, for even when one has an abundance, his life does not consist of his possessions. He thought his security was found in his bank book. He thought his success was found in his bank book. Even as he's gloating over his fortune and his future, looking again and again at his bank book and his balance sheet, Thinking he's finally arrived. The voice of God rang forth. And God has been looking at the balance sheet that he was keeping of this man's life. And he could only write one thing across that balance sheet. And it was bankrupt. Bankrupt. Be on guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. He thought his security was found in his bank book. He thought his success was found in his bank book. And he failed to see. He failed to see, like many of us may be failing to see today, that his security and success are found in eternal investments, not in earthly earnings. Security and success is found in eternal investments, not earthly earnings. Who is this guy? Did Jesus have somebody in mind? This is a story. Jesus made the story up. Jesus made the man up. But Jesus tells us who this man is. In verse number 21. So is the one. You want to know who the rich fool is? He's the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Who's the rich fool in this story? Every single one of us who is spending his or her life to store up treasure for ourselves 
and is not rich towards God. You don't throw rotten tomatoes at me. I didn't write the mail. I'm just a delivery boy. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said the rich fool is the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And now look how skillfully Jesus turns such a worldly discussion right back to eternity in verse 22. He said to his disciples, For this reason, for this reason, what I've just told you, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life. Now listen to what he says. Listen carefully. Do not worry about your life as to what you will eat nor for your body as to what you will put on. For the life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no, no storeroom nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. Let me ask you a question before we read on. When is the last time you worried about what you will eat. I'm not talking about, are we going to Applebee's or Red Lobster or the Mexican place or the Chinese buffet? I mean, when's the last time you worried about what you are going to eat? When is the last time you worried about what you were going to put on? And I don't mean, should I wear this dress or this dress, or this tie. I worry about what I put on every Sunday morning because I don't know what matches. I'm colorblind. I'm like, does this go together? But no, how, when's the last time you worried about how are you going to replace that pair of pants that you wear every day until it wears out? When's the last time we worried about what we were going to eat and what we were going to put on? And I, I think if we were honest, we'll say, I don't think I've ever worried about that. So Jesus isn't talking to me here because I don't worry about what I eat. I don't worry about what I put on. Imagine what Jesus would say when he looks at what we do worry about. Imagine what Jesus would say to us if he showed up this morning. That's us, me, and you. And saw what we worried about. God, help us all. Verse 25, which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? Verse 29, and do not seek what you will eat, what you will drink. Do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. What things? Food and clothing. Seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. You want the kingdom? He's chosen gladly to give it to you. Gladly. 
Okay, sounds good, Jesus. Well, let me finish. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourself money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And we read verses like that and say, well, he didn't really mean that for us. That really doesn't apply to us. I mean, we're 21st century Americans. You know, life's different here. Life's more expensive here. Life's more important here. Life is just as short here. And eternity is just as long. And Jesus says, turn loose of this life. Invest it in the kingdom and lay up treasures where you will get a return in heaven for eternity. Let's be rich towards God. Let's lay up treasure in heaven where it really matters. Listen, what should rise is not the Christian's standard of living, but his standard of giving. What should rise is not the Christian standard of living, but his standard of giving. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist church, said this, Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. John Wesley was one of the wealthiest men in England. Did you know that? John Wesley was one of the wealthiest men in England. Yet though he made as much as 1,400 pounds a year in the 1700s, he lived on 28 to 30 pounds a year. That would be like if you made $140,000 a year, you're living on 2,800 to 3,000. John Wesley was giving, giving away... 98% of his income and living on 2% of his income. And when he died, listen to what he left behind. When he died, he left six pound notes, six silver spoons, a handful of books, a Geneva gown that he preached in all over England. Six pound notes, six silver spoons, a handful of books, and a Geneva gown that he preached in all over England. And one more thing. He left the Methodist church. He could have died as a rich TV preacher. But he built orphanages. He printed Bibles. He sent missionaries. He compiled the Methodist hymn book, and he died worth about 30 bucks. Matthew chapter 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupts and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's think about this today. Who are we more like? Right now this morning in the middle of this sermon, are you more like the man who interrupted talk of eternity to discuss earthly possessions? Or are you, more, are you more like the rich fool? Or are you eternally minded and eternally investing? Who are you more like honestly? Here's what we need to ask ourselves today. Please listen. Please listen. Here's what we need to ask ourselves today. Do we really believe? Do we really believe that God exists? 
Do we really believe that eternity is forever? Do we really believe that hell is horrible and heaven is glorious and that this life is nothing more than a vapor? Do we really believe this? If so, then that should absolutely affect how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we make our investments, how we spend our careers, how we spend our futures. And it does affect these things. It, what we believe does affect, affect how we spend our time. What we believe does affect how we spend our money and how we invest and how we spend our careers and how we spend our futures. If we want to know what we believe, we only need to look at these things. If the legitimacy of our beliefs were measured by our bank books this morning, would we be more like the rich fool than a follower of Jesus? Are we practical atheists in practical matters? These things ought not to be. Romans chapter 10 says if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved do you believe do you really believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross and was buried in a barred tomb and rose from the grave on Sunday morning to live eternally victorious triumphant over death hell and the grave do you really believe have you really confessed Jesus Christ as Lord? Not just over your spirit and over your soul, but over every part of life. Have you really called upon His name? Are you really following Him with your heart, with your feet, with your hands, with your funds, with your futures? He is worth it. I want to end with another parable really quickly in Matthew chapter 13. If you'll turn over to Matthew chapter 13. Two very short parables. In Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse number 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid again and from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field it's a man who's found a great treasure lying in a barren useless field he buries the treasure and he goes and sells every single thing he has to spend whatever he's got to spend to get this field. And all of his friends are going, have you lost your ever-loving mind, man? You're going to sell your home. You're going to sell your livestock. You're going to sell your crops. You're going to sell everything you have to buy this little field over here. But he knows something that everyone else doesn't know that buried under the surface in that field is the greatest treasure he could ever imagine. That is what it means to follow Jesus. We live this life to be pitied by most of the folks in this world chasing the American dream. Why? Because we know there's a treasure 
yet to come. In verse 45, he says again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here's a man who's collecting pearls. And he finds one pearl that is so valuable. He sells everything he has, including all of his pearl collection, to get this one pearl. That's what it means to follow Christ, people. We see how beautiful and glorious and worthy he is and how long and wonderful eternity can be. And we lay everything down in this life that stands between us and Christ and we constantly reevaluate our earthly treasures in order to invest in the treasure that is yet to come. Do we really, really believe? If so, it'll affect more than Sunday morning. It'll affect more than our devotional times. It'll affect every area of our lives. Maybe, maybe this morning you need to turn from your sin of greed, of covetousness, of running after the things of this world and turn to the greatest treasure in this life and the life to come, Jesus Christ. We'd invite you to believe, to confess Him as Lord and to call upon His name here this morning. Father, we thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. We thank You that You care enough about us that You will tear down our earthly idols and tear down our earthly perspectives in order to give us something so much better. I pray that we've seen the, tri the trivial vanity of the earthly this morning and we've seen the eternal urgency and treasure of the heavenly this morning. And I pray that you would move us to repent afresh and turn to Christ afresh this morning. And we'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.